You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Vox and Hops Brutal North America is presented by Indie Merch Store. And I'm sorry that I was in this band for so long, like doing all this shit, you know. Yeah, I don't know. It, it just didn't seem like a strange thing to me. And then now it's just like, you know, like Dead Cross is a great example. Like everybody's in a fucking million bands and it's just, you know, and, and, and the only thing ever, the, the only thing I can hope for is that we all come back, you know, to do it again or whatever. So um, it just doesn't, I don't know. It's, it is a strange thing. I'm kind Part of me is kind of glad that I'm not known as the guy from the one band, but, but also it might have been easier that way. You know, like it seems like less shit to organize. Cause there are times where I'm like, fuck these email threads are like, you know, or, or, or these schedules or. Hey, what's up Vox and Hops heads. I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops metal podcast brought to you by sound talent media, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, to talk about their lives, music and craft beer. I hope you had a glorious weekend. I most certainly did because brutal North America is here. It's in full effect. It's in full swing. Vox and Hops Brutal North America is presented by Indie Merch Store, is fueled by Heartbeat Hot Sauce Company, and is powered by Yakima Chief Hops. Now, there have been 22 brand new Vox and Hops collaborative brews, which have been dropping throughout the past week. There are still a few that will be dropping throughout this week. I am just so damn proud and excited of all of the beautiful humans that have worked together and collaborated together to make Vox and Hops Brutal North America a reality. But there are a few key people that I must give massive shout-outs to. Now, I must give a huge thanks to Chris Kells of The Agonist for creating all of the mini-docs that you've been seeing on the Vox and Hops socials. I'd also like to give a huge shout-out to Mihala Petrescu of Miha on Tour for taking all the killer pictures. Uh, the artwork for Brutal North America has been created by Philip Ivanovic. Got Jeannie Bond that helped me with the label design. Philip Brousseau who created all of the original music that you are hearing in these videos. Got Asher Media Relations, who has helped me spread the word about the project. And a massive shout-out to Andrew Tremblay for designing the sick Brutal North America logo, as well as creating the flyer. If you'd like to find out some more information about Brutal North America, head on over to my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And there's a whole bunch of extra information there. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal is Montreal's premier metal promoter. They put on a bunch of sick shows throughout the year, but not only that, they also put on one of North America's best metal festivals, and that's the absolute truth. I have played festivals all around the globe, and Heavy Montreal is up there with the best of them. I am just so damn stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I'm also asking you to rate it and write a review because when you do that, more metalheads just like yourself will be able to discover the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, why do I say this? I say this because when someone is looking for a new podcast to invest their time in, what do they do? They scroll down, they check out the reviews, and if those reviews are a bunch of positive reviews reflecting cool things that they enjoy, they will most probably give that podcast a chance. So if you were to write a review for the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, you could actually be the person that sways someone into becoming a brand new Vox and Hops head, and that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, in today's episode, I'm with Justin Pearson of The Locust, Dead Cross, Planet Satan, and a whole bunch of other projects, but he also runs 31G Records. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 277. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today I'm with JP, Justin Pearson of The Locust, uh, Swing Kids. He runs 3-1-G Records. He's also in Dead Cross. Justin, how are you doing? I'm decent. <laughs> Let's start <laughs> off with a mammoth of a question, something that I like to throw at people right at the beginning. How did you cope with the glorious year that is now behind us of 2020? <laughs> okay, well, that's a loaded question. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, we're, you know, I mean, like 
punks are bred for the apocalypse, you know? So it's just like, all right, cool. Like the world's straight as shit. Like we'll just figure out a way. And I mean, I kind of looking back, I'm like, well, that was, wasn't as bad as I thought it, it should have been, you know? I mean, it was fucking terrible. Like I lost like close friends, like it's, it, you know, haven't, had a you know i haven't toured or played or anything you know it's it's been shitty but like i guess it could have been worse i mean you know we're we're looking we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel maybe um uh yeah i don't know it's been interesting it's been a weird a weird time for sure it's very hard is this the longest span of time that you haven't performed live yeah i don't don't think i mean i started playing shows when i was 15 i don't think there's ever been a, a complete year where i didn't play a show so yeah it's weird <laughs> it's 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 as an artist myself i completely understand it's, it's so difficult to not get that output to to not get that cathartic experience so how how did you manage throughout this year without that release i don't huh that's a strange question for me i mean i see what you're saying like it is cathartic and it is like a release I don't know, man. It, that, that's a, I, I guess I find those things like in other aspects of life. I mean, for instance, like, you know, recording and stuff obviously isn't the same, but it's kind of, it's very rewarding and, and um, cathartic to, to, to be like, Oh, I, we finished recording an album. So <clears throat> during the pandemic, I, I recorded, uh, you know, an entire album and, and, and also other stuff as well with different projects. But um, that, and then just, like a lot of, I mean, I live in San Diego. So a lot of time was spent like going to the beach with my dog and stuff. And that was, that was really helpful. I found myself going like almost daily, which is not something I would have normally done. I don't think, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's been, it's been, it's, it's weird. You know, it's definitely weird. Um, I, I, and I have a, there's talk of this like three, one G showcase thing happening in August. And I, and I'm, um, not it's not nervous but like there's anxiety around it like whoa like it'll be weird to just do it again you know like i don't know like i feel like are we still gonna like it of course we are but you know we have that moment no i don't give a shit what anybody thinks i don't you know i don't i don't care what anybody thinks i'm worried about myself like it'll be weird to walk on stage and like do the thing again you know like oh like too much time has passed you know or i don't know i mean we'll we'll see it'll be fine i'm, I'm sure i mean that's the thing is like I, there is that level of like what in, for me like when i perform uh it, with a band it's always like there's always this bit of anxiety right before it happens and then and then as soon as it starts it's nothing it's like uh you know you transcend and you don't think rationally and things aren't computing normally you know so whatever it'll be fine i'm sure so well it sounds amazing and uh, i hope everything goes well and i know everything will as long as everyone behaves <laughs> please people <laughs> well behave i mean i that's i don't know what like like covid behave yeah but like behave as far as like exactly yeah you know going ape shit no, no, I I want, ape that's shit. what we need that's 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 what we <laughs> yeah. feed off of <laughs> fox and hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends talking about their lives music and craft beer what beer do you have on your side or what drink do you have on your side that we're going to share virtually today sure okay so i don't i was trying really hard not to be a poser i'm, I'm not <laughs> much of a drinker I'm, I'm not not a drinker i'm just not much of a drinker so um i went um the the hard kombucha route um and it's a local company also too to san diego so i thought this is cool i'll i'll I'll, it's good um so the thing is like one of these will get me pretty fucked up and that's (laughs) that's kind of why i don't drink i'm like i'm good like i don't think i need to drink that because i won't be driving you know like after one like so um yeah, so this is the, the beverage that I chose. Amazing. Uh, crack that open. I'm going to talk about mine. I'm going to be drinking. Uh, it's an old-fashioned. It's a massive stout that has been created to mimic an old-fashioned. So it's a huge, huge stout that was brewed with uh, um, dark grains, of course, to get the stout, and orange zest, and then aged in bourbon. So it's to mimic a, an old-fashioned 11.9% ABV from Borregal Brasserie Distillery right here in Montreal. They make uh, only dark beers, and I think that's super cool of them. Uh, let's talk about your very first beer. Do you remember the first beer you drank, Justin? Yeah, <clears throat> it's funny. I do, because I was driving somewhere with my parents and I lived in, I lived in Arizona when I was a child and it was hot as fuck. And I remember I was super thirsty and my parents 
only had beer in the car and they gave, <laughs> they gave me beer. Um, yeah. I mean, it was like 78 maybe or something, 1978. Yeah. I don't know. Things are different, you know? So anyhow, I remember drinking the beer and uh, it was probably Coors um, or, or, um, or Miller. And it was, and I just remember thinking like fucking terrible shit. Like, you know, like I just give me, like, I wanted like soda, you know, uh, or water, <laughs> you know, and it was like, it was a weird, it was a weird thing because I knew it was it wasn't for children and I was like kind of tripping out that that I was just drinking this beer. The car thing didn't phase me. It was just that it tasted horrible and I knew it was for adults. But whatever, I was thirsty. I don't know if it did the job, but I do remember that being my first time drinking beer. That's insane. That's insane. Cheers to uh, your very first car <laughs> beer at a young age. Yeah. Ooh, you can smell that. It smells like an old fashioned. I would like to say that I'm a big fan of kombucha and and um. That, your drink sounds really good. Um, I would be interested in trying that. Um, but the the kombucha, first of all, let, can I just say June Shine? If you see this, hook it up with sponsorships. Um, no, they're cool. I, I mean, I, I they're local, and so I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be conscious about it and like get that, you know. And and it's it, I I have had a, a few of these like at, uh, you know at venues and stuff when you know when it, when it's when it's when it's presented. I don't go out much. <laughs> so anyhow, um, this is the jam. Yeah. Amazing. Um, let's talk about has your, you evolved. Uh, do you remember getting into drinking in your teen years? Do you remember any crazy stories there? Uh, was that a part of your teen culture or were you completely punk in somewhere else? <laughs> well, okay. This is, that's a, that's another loaded question. So, I mean, I think growing up, um, both my parents were alcoholics and it was kind of a weird thing to, to be around. And it, it never was, I never, um, I, I will say that I'm, I'm grateful that I didn't take the straight edge route in my later years. I, I have a lot of opposition to straight edge culture. Um, not, not like Ian McKay straight edge, but like, um, just like, fuckhead straight edge, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. And, and so, um, okay. So anyhow, I, 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 um, you know, grew up with my parents being alcoholics. It was pretty brutal at times. And, um, um, I didn't associate like alcoholism or I didn't associate drinking with their antics. So, so, you know, growing up getting into punk and stuff, I mean, I was just hanging out with like, sh you know, shitty punks and, and, and crusties and stuff. And it just, it never really like was a thing. I mean, I, I do remember myself, you know, around the age 13 or 14, just my mom would leave me at home alone. And I would get, I would just drink and get wasted and then pass out. And then like, this is strange, you know, and it's kind of just to do it just to like experiment, I guess. And then as soon as I got a bigger perception of the world, I guess, started touring or going places and doing things. I was just, I don't, it didn't really become a thing. I didn't need to drink. So I, I just, um, and also too, I mean, I think with that being said, like with punk and, and, and hardcore and stuff like drinking became, um, or I guess alcoholism became what was also like, you know, pretty, um, present in, in, in my, in my community, you know? So, so I'd be like, Oh, so-and-so is super fucked up. Like I'm going to have to keep my shit together, you know, to make sure that they get home. Okay. Or whatever, just stuff like that. I think I'm too responsible maybe, or also maybe too practical, um, so, so it was, you know, and I was in, I was in bands with people that were, um, you know, that had substance abuse issues. And, and so I, I did, it kind of, I kind of just like wanted the band to function and, or wanted my friendships to function with these people. So I, I kind of chose the, the route to be, you know, I'm going to just kind of keep an eye on everything while everybody does their shit and still enjoy myself. Um, so there was that. And then there was also the, the introduction to straight edge. And I, and I thought it was, I, th I saw a lot of hypocrisy in it. And I, and I also thought it was very um, alienating and kind of elitist. And also I just associated it with um, just like male white culture. And I, and I, and I thought it was, I thought it was lame. So, um, you know, I hated straight edge <laughs> right off the bat, you know, and oddly enough, people thought like my first band was straight edge and we weren't because if anybody knew what everybody was up to, you know, we were definitely not fucking straight edge. So um, there's that. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. It was it was a weird, a weird, um, weird time. Anyhow, um, fast forward. I um, at some point, like maybe around, um, I guess the age of 30 ish or 30. Yeah, around 30 or something. I, I got this job at this um, 
at this really cool bar or club in San Diego called Riches. It's a gay club. And it was like, it was pretty insane. And, and, and it was funny because they try to only hire people from the gay community. And I don't know how I'm, I'm not gay. I don't know how I got hired. <laughs> I actually, I do know how I got hired. And I'm going to, I'm going to fuck this whole interview up right now because I, I was like joking saying that we were supposed to keep Jerry Springer off the table, but they hired me, I think because they found out that I was on Jerry Springer through a mutual friend that worked there. And then they were like, Oh my God, he was on Jerry Springer. Let's hire that guy. <laughs> and, like, uh, and so I had this job at this gay club for, as a bar back for um, almost, almost, uh, I guess like eight years. And it was pretty insane. And, you know, I don't know, you can't like hang out there and not have someone, you know, not like force you to drink, but they're just like, here you go. Like, here's the shot of Jaeger. And you're like, Oh fuck, this is gross, but all right, here we go. You know? And so <laughs> it, it became like a, like a, a, a normal thing, you know, to, to, to drink, um, nightly when i worked there um but you know i would try i'd do the thing where like yeah cool you know and like <laughs> not drink you know because i had to work still you know but so that there was that um you know and then i mean since i quit there i don't know i just it's just not really a a, a big thing you know uh, which is me. a good thing because if you came from a, a household that had a lot of alcoholism uh, you must have an addictive personality somewhat it sort of falls down the tree so you must have just put your addiction onto something else such as music yeah that or like i can can addiction be associated with ocd because i definitely have that i feel like that 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 kind of shit drives me crazy because I, I see it and i'm like ah you know but i only i only feel better when everything is like completely you know organized or whatever so there's that, but I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Here's to, here's to, here's to that stuff. <laughs> Thank you for being so honest. I love it. Uh, let's talk about the soundtrack of your youth. When you're growing up in your parents or guardians house, what music was playing when you were not in control of the music? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? Man, I, I mean, I think, I think radio, just like normal radio stuff was their jam. And I'm pretty lucky that like once I was started like I got into, I got into music pretty early. I mean, <clears throat> I remember obsessing over, you know, Michael Jackson thriller or, or, um, oh man, even, even like Billy Idol and Pat Benatar and stuff. But I, I remember when, um, let's see, I don't know what happened first. If it was Van Halen 1984 or break in the movie came out, but those two things like kind of fucked up my life in a, in a cool way. I was really into, <laughs> I think when Van Halen 1984 came out, it was a big deal for me. And my, and my parents were like, this is, you know, it was on the radio, you know, so like it was fine and cool or whatever. So it wasn't the shift from like this music's acceptable to this music's not because there definitely was a shift where like the shit I was listening to was not acceptable to my parents. But, um, you know, first of all, I think Van Halen, 1984, a hover teacher, the drums yeah. are awesome. And then all this synth stuff in it is without me realizing it, I think put me on a path to this kind of stuff I would be part of because and it's weird giving Van Halen, you know, Van Halen um, such a a pedestal. I don't really, I mean, I think David Lee Roth's awesome. Um, and, I, and I think that might be an aspect too. But anyhow, there was a lot of synthesizer stuff, which I thought was weird because especially when you watch like the jump video, you see, you know, Eddie Van Halen playing guitar. He's not playing keys, which I thought that's so weird to me. But I think that my attraction to it was all the synthesizer stuff. And then, and then obviously like at some point, maybe it happened before or after, but when break in the movie came out, um, I was way into hip hop and, or I guess, you know, whatever, yeah, like break dancing and, and, and like, there was a lot of, there was a lot of rap music that had like on Tommy boy records and stuff that had this kind of like electronic side to it, like weird robot voices and shit. And of course a kid's going to like it, you know? And so, and then also break dancing, you, you know, you kind of dance like a robot. So anyhow, I was psyched on, I was psyched on, on that stuff. And, and so my mom was really in, my mom liked, break dancing and, and was like kind of supportive of, of uh, me being into that music and let me listen to it. And like, I remember she took me to see breaking in the movie theaters and, you know, I think, I think she was kind of tripping out because like in the theater, when it came out, like motherfuckers were just break dancing in the aisle. Oh, really? Shit. It was, it was so weird. And I, and I was like, Oh, this is crazy. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I kind of wanted to do it too, but I wasn't good, but my mom was psyched. And so she was kind of on board for, for what I was into. Um, yeah, and I remember like I remember being into Kiss when I was little, and then I realized at an early age that Kiss sucked uh, musically. <laughs> no it was all about the, like, the the image in the show, right? It totally was. I remember hearing that that song Beth. Um, granted, it was a Peter Chris um, like like solo song, but I remember hearing it 
And I was, and I just remember being on this, I was on a, like on a trip with my parents and it was in the car. And I just thought like, God, this song sucks. And at the end they're like, that was Kiss. And I was like, what the fuck? Why do I even like Kiss? This band is not that great, you know? And especially cause it was like other cool shit happening at that same time. But I mean, I don't know. My music, my musical taste is all over the place. The first record I bought was, um, oh, I always forget the name of it, but it was the triple LP by Stevie Wonder. And I was psyched on that. I mean, I must've been five. I was into all kinds of stuff, you know? And, and, and my, my parents were cool about it. Um, they were pretty cool about what I, what I listened to until I got to punk and then it was, then everything got fucked. I was going to ask, what was that album that was just too much for them? <sighs> there wasn't really one. There was a, like, my mom was kind of a, I don't know if she was oblivious to it. I think she just, I was, so I was into, <clears throat> there was a cool transition for me, which is obviously probably for a lot of people was skateboarding and, and thrasher. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I was really into, into, um, you know, skateboarding culture and stuff. And it was the, it was the thrasher skate rock compilations that, that were being released that I started getting, but it, it wasn't until I bought, um, I think I bought Never mind the Bullocks on cassette by the Sex Pistols. And I, and, um, and I was super psyched on it. And, and I, and I traded it with a friend of mine who had the first suicidal tendencies record. And we both were both like, Oh, we kind of didn't want to give them back to each other, you know? And so, so that, that was the, the thing like, okay, I got to go get a bunch of shit now. Like I have to go buy a bunch of records. And so then I started getting the skate rock compilations, but it really, really what set my, my dad off <clears throat> was he hated the fact that I was in the skateboarding. He thought me and my friends were scumbags. And then it was coming home and having um, cramps, bad music for bad people and the misfits legacy brutality on cassette he saw the two of them and I think he read the song titles and, and just like lost his shit and was, and it could, he was like, what the fuck is this? You know, broke my tapes. And I was like, no way. you know, whatever, dude, you're, a, I was like, you're a dick, man. You're an alcoholic. You beat my mom up. Like you cheat on her. Who cares about the song angel fuck <laughs> you know, or who cares about, <laughs> you know, goo goo muck or garbage man or whatever. I was just like, fuck you. And then it kind of just projected, you know, it just made me go full force and he was like, you're so then he th- and I had no idea like anything about Sid Vicious, but he 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 was like, you're going to become a drug addict because you mm. like the sex pistols. And I'm like, I'm not going to I don't want to do drugs. I just want to get a fucking mohawk and like, you know, listen to annoying shit and and skateboard, you know, and that was it. And so it was a strange thing uh, having that. But I'm, I'm kind of glad that my dad was against it because I really feel like that was like, I'm going to fucking do this now, man. You know, that was the that was what I needed. So um yeah, there was a few things that transitioned to me there, I think, um, into, into the weird, into the weird realm. <laughs> you need that motivation sometimes to, to the, the amount of artists I've spoken to and their parents were so against it are the ones that just dove so deep into it. It's a, sure. I think that's so interesting, completely different on my side. My dad, when, when parents were super into it, anything that I brought home was never too much letting me listen to everything in the car, you know? So it's very interesting to have the, the, the complete opposite of things. Uh, how about your first shows? Do you remember the first live music experience you went to go see? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> okay. First live concert. I was seven years old and I went and saw Shaka Khan. And it was pretty weird because this was still in the breakdancing phase, I think, because she had that hit song. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Anyhow, I turns out I only liked one of her songs at the time. <laughs> I mean, I think she's great, a great artist, but I'm not that much into her, but she, she had the one song that was kind of like popular and like in the breakdance realm or whatever. So anyhow, my parents took me and it was funny because we were the only white people in this fucking place. And I didn't, I was seven. I didn't know like, Oh, we're the only white people. But my parents were like, what the fuck were the only white people, you know? And everyone was smoking weed. I was like, oh, it smells funny in here, you know, but I was, I didn't know. I was naive and Seven. didn't really care. But the, what I remember was everyone being super psyched. Uh, like everyone around me was like psyched that I was the one that brought, that I was there. Like they kind of, I think people must have, I'm speculating I'm, and I'm assuming and I'm hoping that, I'm, you know, everyone was like, oh, the little kid is the one that's, you know, and they, and they were, they were kind of like, it was cool. Like if I walked away thinking like, that was an awesome experience even though I didn't really, I realized I was like, this isn't really that great of music. I would have rather have seen a different concert, you know, but, um, and then, you know, so that was when I was seven. And then I think there was this huge gap of me not seeing anything. And then it was like when I was 12, that's when it all started. I saw the cramps play and, um, 
right right before I moved to San Diego, I, I came out to San Diego and saw the cramps and that, that shit changed everything. That was like, that was the one that, that just changed my life completely. A lot of it I didn't really know at the time, but in retrospect, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that was, I ended up meeting them and stuff. And like, just, I remember watching them and I already loved the music and stuff, but I remember like watching them and just tripping out on all of this shit that I didn't really fully comprehend yet. You know, like Lux's clothing options or lack of clothing <laughs> options, I guess, you know, and like just shoving a microphone down his pants and, and also poison Ivy. And at the time they had candy Del Mar on base, could they just both look so badass and, and kind of just menacing. And it was cool to kind of see these things. So I saw this sort of gender bending, I, I suppose at, at a early, early age without, without being aware of it. I, I was observing. I remember just, obsessing and and just watching and thinking like what the fuck is going on and and those kind of things um affected me in a, in a good in a good way i think <clears throat> in a, a progressive way especially now like looking back i'm like god i'm so glad i was into weird shit and not like you know fucking mad ball or something i don't know whatever whatever <laughs> bands that like my friends were getting into at the time you know so it was it was a it was a it was a trip um but that was the, that was i would say that was like that was the one no, no offense to Shaka Khan, but the cramps was the one. <laughs> how, how about your very first time on stage? Uh, well, uh, first show was not on a stage. It was in a, someone's garage. Often, um, often that happens, yes. Yeah. Um, it was with Struggle, my first band. I was 15. It was in this place called Ramona, which is just like, it's just bad. I don't know. Like it was, I just, And it was, it was like, so was that 90 it was like 1990 i guess maybe 89 no it was 90 anyhow it was like just have you ever seen the movie suburbia with yes. you know with with di and the vandals and tsol and those bands not the other stupid suburbia, but the one the punk one it was very much like that as far as the crowd goes like that i don't know i mean that movie was was very important to me as a child but it didn't it doesn't hold up because i mean like the part where they're like oh the guy's son or the guy's stepdad's a cop and he's like oh that's fuck he's a cop and like and he's black and he's like oh black cop you know and you're like what the fuck man like this is this sucks you know like and you know then there was like homophobic shit in the movie and so anyhow like all that was there, you know, and I was like, oh, like, I'm surprised we didn't get our asses beat, you know, like, it was like, there was like these fucking shitheads there. That was it. It was just mainly shitheads and a few of our friends. It was bad. It was pretty bad. And I, and I was really into that. I was super, like, one of my, one of my all-time favorite records is um, Wrong by No Means No. And I was like, you know, I was 15. I was like, I'm going to wear a mask like the guy from No Means No. So I had this stupid fucking mask on. I don't know like the irony and where that took me in my musical career is, is pretty, pretty weird, but um, I should have just like kept it straight and been like, let's just fucking play like the metal shit we're doing. You know, I don't know. It was weird. It was a, it was a bummer for show. Yeah. But we had to start somewhere, you know, um, especially at 15, you know, but it was, it was like quick. Like I went from like that to like <laughs> right away. I mean, I went from that to playing a show in Tijuana at this international workers day celebration where like, I don't think anybody liked us, <laughs> but, but people were psyched that we were there because we were there to talk about, you know, anti-imperialism and the U S imperialism. And, and they were, and people were, 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 were connecting with us on this political level. And I was like, this is like, this music thing is weird. <laughs> you know? Like First of all, it's like all these fucking racist shithead punks. And then it's all these like Mexican migrant workers I'm like I'm like well, I don't where do we fit in like what is the thing you know uh, it was it was a strange a strange start for me but it it worked I guess <laughs> that's incredible uh, you you started your own label three one G in ninety four so very quickly after you started performing which is a uh, awesome and and unique and a lot of people don't do that yeah and it comes back to that. OCD being in control and having everything in its order, I think perhaps. So talk to me about starting a label, why you have a label. Um, sure. I mean, that's, I, I, I do think maybe it is part partially OCD, but partially was, and it's, it's an interesting thing to look back on it because there's times right now I'm like, dude, this sucks running a record label. And it, well, 
it sucks running a record label. Like it's fucking bullshit right now to put out a record that I'm on and do publicity. I'm like, this is not that fun for me. Like the amount of work oh, yeah. just kind of sucks. But <clears throat> I was very lucky with my first band with struggle to be able to release stuff on ebullition. And that, that label was really cool and sort of set this really high standard as far as what I thought I should expect from, from a record label. Mm-hmm. And and also too, I was really into Discord and 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 also growing up around Gravity Records and Vinyl Communications. There was these this aspect of 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 quality and also artistic integrity and creativity. So between Ebullition and Gravity, I was like, this is how it has to be. And so I started kind of dealing with other labels who would just shitting things out or farting the fucking wrong artwork out or like changing your artwork or. Or I don't know, just it just sucked, and so I, I I was like, this this is a this is a bummer. I think I can probably do this at least as bad as these other labels. So I might as well <laughs> do that instead of like let instead of me being like fuck these people, they screwed up our record. I just like fuck myself. I screwed this record up. So I I just figured out a way to start it, and and a lot of it was like stealing, uh, you know, and like scamming Kinkos for like photocopies and like. I don't know. I was a pretty bad kid. I I did like crazy shit. I'd stole tons of postage from the USPS. Sorry, USPS just fucked up shit, but I made it work. And I put out also too, I was pretty lucky because the first two releases were unbroken and swing kids. And both of those records sold pretty well toured a bunch. And so it was like, it wasn't a problem where where I think most people that I'm going to start a record label. I'm 19 or whatever age I was, you know, and like, and then you end up becoming 30 and you got fucking 500 records in your closet still on yep. the same record, you yep. know, like for me, it was the complete opposite. I was like, I'm 19. I'm going to start a record label. I was like, boom, there they go. Like it's gone. And I was like, holy crap, this is wild. Um, I've soon learned that things don't sell. And, and I think around number, I don't want to say the number actually, because if someone looks up what release that is, <laughs> yeah. that, that, and that band will be like, that guy's a dick. Um, but it, it happened, you know, and <clears throat> whatever I learned, I learned stuff, but yeah, it was crazy but I'm also too, not a very good business person. So, so for me where I'm like, Oh, I really like the creative stuff. Like let's do a square seven inch. That sounds like a really cool idea. <laughs> not thinking that that's expensive as fuck. And you can, you can't sell it for much more than a regular seven inch. So you're probably going to lose money on every single copy that you sell. And mm-hmm. like, sure enough I did. So, and I just did it over and over and I didn't really learn until I don't know, maybe like two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) It's been going through so many years, you know, from 94, you went through Napster uh, to everything going digital. Uh, What were some of the hardest struggles going through those years until now? Now there's a resurgence where vinyl is appreciated once again. So record labels can make a bit more money, but those years were tough. So how how did you get through those years? Yeah. I mean, there, there was like this weird thing where all of a sudden vinyl didn't sell. And so then I was sitting on a bunch of expensive product. And then the CD thing kind of sucked because it seemed like CDs were the one mm-hmm. they were cheaper to make. And then all of a sudden, like that stopped. And I was just like, God, get your shit together, you know, <laughs> industry, whatever, whoever you know, doing these shifts, like get the shit together. Um, so it was, it was like, it was just constantly learning, constantly just giving shit away, you know, like mm-hmm. to me, I looked at it like, I mean, the Napster thing was weird. Like, I, like I, I still don't even use Spotify. I mean, I, I prefer vinyl, and I and I that's how I prefer to. I don't. I don't know. I, I have a problem with an algorithm telling me that I'm going to like this other thing too. I'm mm-hmm. like, I, mainly to learn. I think if I think if everybody was maybe not. This might be maybe this isn't for everybody. But for me, when I when I when I first heard, you know, Spotify or Pandora, I would I would I'd say like, oh, and someone's like, hey. You, you should plug your band in here and see what happens, you know, and like, see what they suggest next band. I'm like, what the fuck? And the next one, I'm like, dude, this is bullshit. You know, and then I'm like getting pissed. And so then I, so then I just can't really accept it, you know, because also too, I'm thinking like, let me put in, you know, I don't know, whatever band that I am enjoying at the time and see what happens, see what it suggests. And, you know, I don't know, maybe it's not, maybe I should, maybe I should discover it on my own. Also, I have a very eclectic taste. And I, and I think that the obvious route is, is, is usually the most boring route, you know? And so I don't know, no, no offense to anybody in the, in the, in the, that got lumped into the locust 
route on or the locust chunk of music in on spotify but i i was just like this shit sucks you know and like then i started thinking like does my band suck i mean maybe it does <laughs> you know, it's just like it's a, it was a weird thing but um so yeah like i got stuck with tons of cds and i think they're kind of an obsolete format so i would do, I would do the craziest shit well maybe it's not that crazy to me it was crazy i always have to go to los angeles for recording or or what rehearsal and stuff so it's it's a three-hour drive and a lot of times I'll go up there and have to come back late at night or whatever. And so I always carry CDs with me and I would just leave them everywhere. So I would leave them at, you know, the gas station or, you know, like at fucking Whole Foods or whatever, just like, just leave shit inside the stores. And, and, and it's crazy because I mean, often someone would message 3-1-G or, or say something on social media and tag 3-1-G like, I was at Whole Foods and I found this fucking, <laughs> you know, this locust follow the flock stepping shit ep in the produce aisle you know i'm like that's so rad like i'm so glad that worked um not that it makes a difference in the world but it's funny for a second and it may i guess that's value for me i'm like that's cool whatever i lost a shitload of money but at least at least someone tripped out for a second because i would i would trip out you know like could you could you imagine finding that you know like in in a in a in a grocery store, <laughs> it's creating unique experiences for your fans. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I guess it goes back to like Dadaist or something. You know, like I don't know. I just want to the subversiveness of of the world. I, I'm a, I'm really a, I embrace that. So anyhow. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. You have a killer roster. Uh, some of my friends, of course, you have early cattle decapitation, zealot RIP. Uh, how do you go about signing bands, finding bands? Are you hunting? Or is it submissions? Is it a mix of both? It's a little bit of everything, but for the most part, it gets a little overwhelming when someone's like, check out my band. We love your label. Release it. And for me, it's like not a whole lot that I release sells very well. Obviously, Cattle Decapitation and maybe maybe a couple other bands. But for the most part, it's a lot of work with little financial reward. So, and often it's a lot, a lot of me spending my own personal money and then going into debt. So for me to, to you know, sign a band, <clears throat> I, I need to, I need to know them. I need to have seen them and hung out with them and have a connection with them because it feels, I don't know, like someone, I, I get, a, we get a lot of submissions and it, and, I'll, and I'll say that it's flattering that people consider 3-1-G and I appreciate every single one, even the formulaic like ones where they're like, dear label, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're, you know, we've toured, <laughs> like whatever, the, but, but I, the, the good ones are fucking rad. They're usually like, you know, the blood brothers changed my life or whatever the fuck they're saying, you know, and I'm like, this is cool. And I, and I, and I listen to everything, but it's, it's pretty rare that, I, that, I, that someone would just mail me something and I'd be like, this is cool. Let me release this. I have no idea who these fucking people are. And it's, it just seems strange. Like a good example is I remember at one point I was friends with um, the band black dice and they had released a seven inch on gravity records. And I remember them telling me that they didn't, they've never met Matt, Matt Anderson. And I was like, that's so weird. Like what you guys have never met. And they're like, yeah, we have no idea. Like, and they weren't like really familiar with, you know, like Antioch Arrow or heroin or anything. I was like, this is so strange to me that you guys did a record with someone that you guys don't know each other. Because for me, it was, I had the ability to tour a lot with Locust and, and that was kind of this, 
that was really what it came down to because the locust toured with jenny piccolo so then we did records with jenny piccolo and the locust you know or like the crimson curse played shows with the festival of dead deer and like you know we kind of and or the locust had members in cattle decapitation or the locust had members in holy molar or the locust had members in fucking every other band so then it was it was that was like the the sort of way to kind of make a, a community or a family out of something and it and it made sense to me to go like all right i'm going to spend all this time and money and not really care if there's a if there's a financial reward let's just do this thing and make something really cool together and that was kind of the the idea of it and it's it is a labor of love and it's so i think again going back to the like i'm not very business savvy you know i, I just don't think about that kind of shit i think like you're my friend and you're fucking your band is sick or like what you do is so awesome or like I'm in this band with you guys and this is rad and no one wants to put our shit out. Let me just do it myself, you know? And so then that's, that's what happens. So, and that's still happening, <laughs> you know, even, <laughs> even right now, it's still happening. So. Was, was there always an intention to, to do that, to create a community around this or was it really just something for you to release your own material at first? Uh, well, at first it was, um, you know, it, at first it was an issue with swing kids when we, when we released our seven inch on another label and it, it was, it was a bad experience. And so, Eric Allen and I, the guitar player, who was also an Unbroken, he was like, you should start a record label and re-release this, our record, and then you should also release this Unbroken 7-inch that we recorded. You can just have it and start this record label. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And so those were my first two releases. And that was, and that, I think, in a sense, started creating this community. Also, I was really obsessed with Discord, and I was kind of psyched on the fact that Discord only released DC bands. And for a while I was like, San Diego bands only. And I was like, no, no, no. And I was like, California bands. That's going to go. We got to, because good, there was, I was, you know, <clears throat> I forgot the first like non-California release. I think it was maybe Asterisk or something, which is like a Swedish grindcore band. I'm like, all right, fuck it. Sweden. We'll just go from San Diego to Sweden. You know, and then it, and then it was Black Dice and, you know, Quintron and Orth Realm and whoever else, you know, and there was, it just opened up and mainly through touring, you know, and it was like, yeah. Oh, I'm going to tour with these bands or these artists and just, you know, fall in love with them and think like we're family and we should, if, you know, and they were open to me releasing their stuff, which also felt um, like I felt a lot of gratitude in, in that, in, in, in that sense, like for me to release a Quintron record felt like I felt fucking, I felt cool, you know, and I felt like, special and i thought wow this is great that i can align with these other people who i who i admire and respect and appreciate and who i think are relevant and important in the in the in the world of art so so that was kind of i guess the the goal of the label but it never was really thought out like these are this is my thought process and this is my agenda it just it just happened and then after a while i was like oh fuck this is what i've been thinking this whole time yeah just just leading you know running with your artistic heart i love that <laughs> Vox and Hops is the same thing. It's 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 yeah. very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know like that's the the true the most honest thing I could I could have done I suppose I, I I did and again I never did it for money. I've never thought like this band fucking kind of sucks, but they're gonna probably sell a shitload <laughs> of records <laughs> because I don't I don't have that that record yet. You know, um, uh, you've collaborated a lot your whole career basically is just a bunch of collaborations with so many artists you know from from travis from cattle uh mike Patton, uh, with you know in dead cross and it just non-stop just all the time with gabe serbian all the time in many projects <laughs> to talk, talk to me about collaborating and and having this open spirit i i imagine it stems to back to the same thing as the relationships uh, connections with people on tour and then wanting to take that relationship a step further to create something together that's an interesting thing. Cause I, I do think about this a lot. Like, um, you know, not that I'm trying to position myself in, in the world of music with other people, but it is kind of nice to look at other people's, I guess we could say careers. That sounds a little, I would like to find a, a more special word than career. Um, but a good example would be, um, would be like, I guess, okay, like, let's look at, oh, fuck me. That's not even a good example. I don't know. Well, uh, for a long time, you know, it's, it's like, how do I even go with this, this answer? Well, I guess going back to the start of the thing, like the, 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 the start of the label was I was already dealing with Eric's two bands, you know, and I, and it didn't seem weird that he was in two bands. And 
him being in a broken helped swing kids. So it wasn't, there was never like a thing. Cause I do, I do see people that are like, we're in this band. Like, yes. I'm known for this. And I guess, you know, kind of, I guess like a, a, what it really made a, a made sense to me was I was in this band, some girls, and we were on tour with Converge. And I remember thinking, um, you know, looking at the guys in Converge and they're kind of just known for being in Converge. Obviously they've done other things at this point, but I think at that, at that juncture, you know, like, like Jake Bannon's a great example. He was just, he was the singer for Converge. And then that was kind of the thing. And then I would look at myself and be like, or look at some girls, you know, and I was like, I don't know, like I'm in the locust and some girls and a bunch of other weird shit. And I, or like, look at, you know, again, with some girls, like, look at like everyone in that band, like Wes, you know, he was in all these other, he was in American Nightmare too. And like, and you know, not, a, not, I think at that time only American Nightmare and some girls, but, but it was kind of like, he was like known for these other things. So I kind of thought like, ah, oh, it's weird. I'm known for all this other shit, like who, fucking Holy Moeller, you know, it just seemed like strange to me. But then I thought like, oh yeah, that's kind of like what everybody just does. And it, and it's, and it went back to kind of sort of like a San Diego thing to me, because I, I do remember, you know, like seeing everybody in the band heroin who were also in end of the line and they were also in Antioch arrow. And, and it was, it was like, oh yeah, yeah. So I'm also in all these other things and we just kind of do all this shit together. And I, I, I liked it, you know? And so the, especially with the locust, it was really interesting at one point, you know, some of us are doing Holy Molar while the other person that wasn't in Holy Molar from Locust was doing Le Shock. And, and so we, we would, then we reconvene and kind of do Locust stuff again. And I don't know. I think we all grew from those experiences and we learned stuff from it that, that was beneficial to what we were doing together. And, and, and I, and I never had seen it as like an issue. And over the years, it, it's, I, I played with artists that I think kind of felt like, I don't know, like not jealousy, like whatever the word is that they're just like uncomfortable that like, Oh, you're also going on tour with your other band. You're like, mm. well, yeah, I've been in this other band for 20 years or whatever, <laughs> you know, like, you know, um, so it was, it, that's kind of a strange um, thing to kind of deal with or, or, you know, like when press comes out and it's like the dude from the locust and I'm like, it's not the locust, but I see why they're saying that in the press. And then the other band member would get fucking pissed at me. And I'm like, dude, it's not my fault. You know, like, Press and I'm sorry pressed. that I was yeah. in this band for so long. <laughs> I'm doing all this shit, you know. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It, it just didn't seem like a strange thing to me. And then now it's just like, it's like, you know, like Dead Cross is a great example. Like everybody's in a fucking million bands, and yep. <laughs> just you know, and, and, and the only thing that the only thing I can hope for is that we all come back, you know, to do it again or whatever. So um, it just doesn't. I don't know. It's, it is a strange thing. I'm I, part of me is kind of glad that I'm not known as the guy from the one band, but, but also it might have been easier that way. You know, like it seems like less shit to organize. Cause there are times where I'm like, fuck these email threads are like, oh, yeah. you know, or, 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 tour, or touring, schedules touring schedules, or, touring schedules yeah. can be difficult with uh, cryptopsy is a perfect example with Ollie in cattle decapitation in cryptopsy in a curian. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's totally insane. I mean, I'm surprised. I mean, I see why Travis is is fine with that, but like that, they're, they're um, you know, I talk to Travis a lot. They're, his he it's like it, the, before the pandemic, it's just like that band is a fucking machine, man. Mm -hmm. Like, when do you get time to do shit? You know, <laughs> you guys did do something cool though. I want to talk about that. I don't know if it's come out. You did something with Lucian Greaves. Am I correct there with the, the dude that runs the Satanic Temple and from that mm -hmm. movie? I, I feel like I saw a picture of you, Travis, and him doing something. Did that ever amount to anything? Yeah, yeah, it came out a week ago. Maybe no way. That's crazy. Look at the timing. I love this. So talk to me about that crazy project there. Another collaboration. I mean. Again, like, and everything kind of starts with just like this sort of smaller idea, you know. So there's this guy, uh, one of my one of my bandmates, Luke Henshaw, who we also have a we have a podcast together. So Luke Henshaw and I are in this band, Planet B, and we have a podcast called Cult and Culture. And we spoke with Lucian, and we were like, let's have him on a on our podcast. So we 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 went to the, the Satanic Temple and recorded a podcast with them, and it was rad, and we hit it off. And it was, you know, it was, a, it was a really cool, um, in my opinion, a really cool uh, conversation. And so in Luke's studio, 
where we work out of a lot, there's this, um, there's this record, Satanic, a Satanic Mass. It's a uh, Anton LaVey. <clears throat> it's just sitting on the wall in this record room. There's all this shit, but it, it, it looks really cool. And it's, you know, it's kind of cheesy and funny and, and like spooky or like kind of organy, you know, like whatever. It's, um, anyhow, I, I love the record and I, and I like how it looks and I'm, and it's just, it's, it was just on my mind. I was like, fuck, we should, we should hit evolution and, and do a sort of modern version of that with the satanic temple, because I do, there is a huge, I already knew this, but I, I learned it a lot after hanging out with Lucian, that the, the separation of the satanic temple from the church of Satan is completely different. <laughs> it's like two fucking worlds. Um, and so I, I, once I started learning about the satanic temple and the, like their social activist programs and like the stuff they were doing for like their legal battles, I was like, Oh, this is the jam, man. I'm like, I'm way into this shit. So then I was, I was like, yeah, let's do this thing with Lucian, make it this cool kind of, you know, satanic mass, I suppose. Um, but, but have, but have it be more nuanced. And so um, we just dove into this strange project and it, and it morphed into a thing. So, you know, Lucian, uh, this is, I think his first time as a, as a, as a vocalist and first band and stuff like that. So we, you know, he kind of came here and we were just, we just kind of riffing in the studio, like just, I don't know, what are we doing? And putting things together. And then, um, you know, we were like, let's get Travis to come over and, 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 and do some vocals. And then he sang on a couple songs and, you know, it took a while, but eventually it came together. It was such a strange project. And it, and it's funny because we've, it came out last week and, and it's been received well, I think, I don't know. I never know what to consider, but in the metal world, it has been like shit on and I'm really? like, yeah, but it's not a fucking metal record. There's a lot to unpack with that being said. Okay. It's not a metal record, <laughs> but everyone's expected it to be metal because Dave Lombardo is in the band, but not, necessarily playing drums he's only he only plays drums on a couple songs and most of the other stuff is he's producing or playing you know electronic keys or adding you know this sort of soundscapes to these tracks so it's i don't know i think that i think that um the metal community just likes the metal one way and it's like metal you know (laughs) but i mean it's like I, it's because to me, it, it, you know, it was funny. Okay. So I also run the record label. So, yeah. So, so when I was trying to, you know, put the metadata into the digital aspect of like, when it goes to, you know, for like Apple music and stuff, Spotify, it's like, what genre do you pick? And I'm like, well, it's not metal. It's not really industrial. And I'm like, Oh, it's religious. Cool. But religious. <laughs> but then the only like sub genre of, re- of religious is Christian. And I'm like, well, this is bullshit, man. And so, so then I just went with, like, um, what the fuck did I go with? Like new age. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, well, this is, it's all going to be fucked. But, um, yeah, it's like not a metal record. And so I was like, fuck these people that are just being shitheads and like talking shit, you know, like, and I don't really care about the shit talking, but I really do. I don't Dave's such a sweetheart and I love the guy. And I'm like, man, fuck you guys for talking shit just about Dave. Like, fuck you, you know? And I, and I'll, I'll get really mad at, at the, at the comments, but I'm like, but he also like, you know, he also would get shit for Dead Cross and stuff too. So I guess he's maybe he's used to it. I'm maybe sure. Regardless, he is. I'm like, this is we got the motherfucking head of the Satan Temple in the band. You can't get any more you can't get any more evil or whatever, whatever. <laughs> you know, you, you know. <laughs> I mean, granted, if you've seen Hail Satan the, the film, you know that Lucian's not, not nothing like, all nothing evil whatsoever. Like, <laughs> I love this. I love this. I had no idea to come out. That's amazing. What is the project called? And what, what is the album called? Satanic Planet. Really? That's it. Amazing. Just self-titled record. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go listen to it as soon as I finish because I really didn't know it came out. That's amazing. Oh, cool, yeah. It's really not metal. I had just seen that pick from Travis, I, I want to say, over a year ago. Yeah. Well, we finished the record. Then the pandemic happened. Mm. Well, we, we mainly finished it. And then the pandemic happened. And we our idea was to have Dave or to ask Dave to play on one song. And he played on one and he was like, I love doing that. That was rad. He's like, well, since I, I'm not touring and I'm not doing anything and we're in this pandemic now, it's like the start of it. He's like, send over another one. And then, and then it was like another one and another one. And we're like, fuck, you're in the band. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and, was, um, and then, so, you know, that, I think the pandemic kind of um, gave it more time. And then it was like, and then we were kind of questioning in pandemic, you know, life, like, do we release this now? Or like, how what's the, what should we do? <clears throat> so there was that. And then there was also the aspect of like, 
there were there were a few labels that that passed on it because they were not wanting to put out a religious record, which I thought was interesting. I mean, maybe they just thought it sucked, but their their response was that it, they were they were not comfortable with it because it was religious. And I was like, huh. One of the labels I don't even I want to I want to I want to just like um I want to throw them under the bus, but I, I probably shouldn't. But I'll just say the label is a is is named after like a, a like a satanic entity, mm. and I was like, dude, you're the biggest fucking poser calling your label that and not putting out the satanic record. Like, fuck you, man. You know, not fuck you, like fuck you, but like fuck you. Jokes on you because you're a poser. Um, it's all good. Um, and I said that to the to the label as a joke, but um, I I think a lot of people were just like. We don't understand this. It's not a real band. How do we like, how do we market this? Point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we almost signed to another label and one and they were like, We we don't understand. Like, can Dave play drums on the whole record? And we're like, No, he's he's <laughs> fucking playing on every song, but we're done. Like the record's done. And they're like, Well, we thought like maybe you know, the Slayer fans were like, nah, we're done, dude. Like, we're gonna go to another label. And then of course it's like, Oh yeah, that's my label. Fuck, I guess I'm putting this out. <laughs> Whatever. It's it's horrible for artists to be pigeonholed and to have to be a certain person. And then you absolutely have not done that. And everything you've created allows people to be extremely creative and be outside of themselves. So that's kudos for that. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, that's a good that's a good thing to point out, because I feel like where like I wish I could have had the, you know, the sort of success uh, that, say, like Dave has had through being in Slayer. I also see him struggle when he does things with, I saw it with Phantomas a lot, especially when the Locust toured Phantomas. I, I saw it firsthanded, like live concerts, and then also in reviews and stuff, where just those, the people that expect his realm of music to just be, you know, Slayer. Slayer. It's like, dude, just chill the fuck out. And like, that guy's got a crazy ability to play other kinds of music and like is into other stuff. So that was a, that was a bummer to kind of um, see. But then with me, it's like, I don't know that, you know, it's like I, I see criticism, I get it, but like my criticism is a little bit different. It's not like, why don't you fucking be weird like the locust again? It's, you know, <laughs> like you can't really do that. You're just like, I usually get like, that guy's a fucking asshole and is all of his stuff sucks. You know, I'm like, cool, dude, like go listen to Tool and go fuck yourself or whatever, you know, but um, it, yeah, it's a weird thing. So I'm, I am grateful that like, I'm sort of, I feel like a free being, you know, like I can do whatever the fuck I want. Like I'm going to start a rap band. Like no one's going to, you know, people not like it, but like, I don't care. And I don't have to hear about it, you know, because no one will buy the record anyhow. <laughs> so fuck you. <laughs> fuck me, I guess. At what point in your career did you stop caring about what people said? Um, Probably when I played that garage in Ramona when I was 15. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Full circle. I love it. Yeah. Um, it's been a year, a crazy year. Uh, what has the best part of this pandemic been for you? The silver lining. Um, man, not to sound like too woo woo or anything, but I think maybe the, maybe the pause that it forced on us, it was, it was, a, it was a kind of an interesting thing to, have to accept, you know, I think that, I think I needed that. <clears throat> I think the world needed it. And part of the pause has sort of diminished where I wish it was still there. Um, so that was the silver lining. I mean, it was like, I remember when the, when the first like sort of lockdown happened and, and, and people stopped driving and you could see the yeah. air quality, you know, change, man, it was just, it was a trip. And so that was something that I, it kind of gave me hope and kind of made me think like, all right, I'm going to get my shit together. Like, you know, try to lessen my carbon footprint, like do, do these things that are, <clears throat> that are, I think important. It kind of just put things in a, a different perspective, I, I suppose, if, if that makes sense. Um, um, and it also gave me, it gave me like, not, not empathy, but I, but I, I but I, it gave me like the ability to <clears throat> look at a situation and, and pause and contemplate then then just react mm -hmm. so that's like because i've seen i mean so not only do you have the pandemic in here in america we had like the worst administration i think that this country's ever had and like you know the the ins insurrection and all this cr fucking polarization of shit and like um you know the black lives matter protests started happening so there was a lot of stuff to kind of internalize and i think all of it um 
gave like tremendous perspective on, on how the world is and how I am in the world and where I fit into it and how I can, how I can navigate in a more meaningful and like conscious manner where not that I wasn't doing that before, but I think it gave me a, it gave me the ability to sort of, um, reevaluate where things were and look at it in a different way. And then, and then, and then, and then proceed from there. And that's the, I guess that's the silver lining because there, there's a lot of not silver linings in this shit, you know? So, so, um, and again, I mean, that's one of the things like hardships, once you get through it, you become stronger and smarter, hopefully. And so I see that and I, and you become more resilient, but at the same time, not, not, um, I don't want to, you know, trivialize the, the the hardships, but again, like we're focusing on the positive. So those are the things like it really did help me like sort of reset and sort of reflect. And I don't know, we'll, we'll see if it sticks. <laughs> I mean, we'll see if it sticks with me, but we'll see if it sticks with the world too, you know? Let's hope so. Let's hope so. One last question. It probably doesn't happen to you very often because you don't drink very often, but every once in a while it happens to everyone, especially when you enjoy a nice hard kombucha or two. Uh, what is your hangover cure? It's a very interesting question. I've never been hungover. Wow. Yeah, it's weird. And I've been fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I've been like fucked up. <clears throat> um, it's funny because yeah, I've never been hungover. The w- one time I, I went to this bar with my roommates at the time and I don't know what, why, um, and I remember going in and my, my one roommate bought us drinks <clears throat> and I had one drink and the next thing I knew I was at the front doorstep of my house barfing. Actually, I was at the corner on my street barfing and then kind of got to my house and I couldn't get in my house and, and, and my roommate brought my pillow out and I slept on the fucking really? front step of my house. <laughs> and it was really, really bad. Um, and they're like, you were home. And I was like, dude, I had one drink, like someone fucking roofied me. That's bullshit. And, and so over time, you know, over like however many years um, that's been, um, I'm like, ah, I've never really been hung over. It's such a trip. And I think a lot of it has to do with like, maybe I have high or like fast metabolism or something. Also, I, I, I do drink a lot of liquid and, and so maybe I just pee it out. I don't know. But um, yeah, so no hangover cure, but I I am told that emergency packets are really good to take when you're getting drunk. Um, I guess because the electrolytes, which goes back to the um, drinking a lot of lo- a lot of liquids, um, non-alcoholic liquids. So that might be that might be the part of it too. Because there, I have been. I mean, even like, I yeah, I just have emergency all the time, especially on tour or something. If you know, if, if like everybody's drinking at the bar after the show or something, it's like, well, I, I have emergency anyhow every day on tour, so. I never really had to deal with that stuff. That's something you learned to, to, to stay healthy, to, to avoid the, the germs. Is that an emergency? Uh, kind of. I mean, just to stay healthy. Not. I mean, just in general, it's vitamin C and electrolytes. And I mean, on tour, it's like you're living in this van with, you know, six people or five. You know, it's like it's like a it's like a Petri dish, you know, and like you're yep. playing in like sometimes pretty gross venues. <laughs> it's always sleeping in pretty gross places. Yep. So you kind of have to like be on top of your shit because once you get sick, tour Everyone gets else. to be... He will also get yeah, worse for you and everybody else. So, um, the, 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 the healthy thing kind of started because I'm allergic to cigarettes. And so I would always get sick on tour back when people would smoke. And so that was a, that was a big deal because performing, uh, as a bassist or a singer, I'm using a lot of oxygen up above everybody else. So I'm <clears throat> like probably smoking a carton a night or something and I'll get bronchitis and shit. So I, I, right off the bat, I was like, I got to keep it together emergency and so it's always the thing emergency was like the the jam you know so um and and luckily everybody like most of the people i tour with they're always like yeah emergency you know and so everyone kind of keeps their shit together um so no hangovers yet but it's amazing it's amazing yeah. justin thank you so so much for taking the time hanging out thank with you. me talking about your life music yeah. and a little bit about craft beer uh i really 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 appreciated it uh huge fan of everything you're doing uh Thanks. everyone check out three one g records check out all of his projects he's a i can't name them all he's too busy uh but <laughs> i love it uh justin thank you so much cheers thank you thank you very much 
you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was a fantastic conversation. Just one of those chats that when we finished and we wrapped up this episode, I just felt so invigorated, uh, so full of energy, just so full of life. Uh, Justin is such a creative human. Amazing to speak to, amazing to listen to. What a pleasure to have had the chance to connect with him. Uh, He is in so many fantastic projects. He collaborates with so many amazing musicians. And I am completely not surprised about that because he is just fucking awesome. Massive thanks to you, Justin, for taking the time to have a chat with me. I greatly, greatly appreciated that. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week containing all of the details of everything that has happened throughout the past week in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. So do me a favor, sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list because I would hate for you to miss a single thing. The Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. I have two more episodes coming up this week, one on Thursday and another on Friday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.